Our first scripture lesson today is from Psalm 130. Listen for the word of God to us this day. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, O Lord, should mark my iniquities, Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you, so that you may be revered. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord, more than those who watch for the morning, more than those who watch for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is great power to redeem. It is he who will redeem Israel from all its iniquities. I um, was thinking before this Sunday in selecting scripture passages for the day about all the news around us and all of the predictions of doom and collapse and all of the whirl and swirl in our culture and the world these days. And thinking about what Christian hope means in the midst of that and what is the ground of our hope. We are deeded such an extraordinary gift from God that we have not earned, but we are called to share with others. And that is the gift of deep and abiding hope. Uh, And in doing that, Psalm 130 came to mind, rooting the connection of individual yearning to God with the people of God in God's forgiveness and God's steadfastness. I also turn to this passage selected for the day from Luke chapter 6. And then, you know, this week came along, and it's been a little busy week, and there's a lot of emotions, and it seems as though this message for us may be all the more important, even today, a deed to us, of a special calling. And so I want to read actually less than I have listed in the bulletin, just two verses. Jesus speaking, verses 37 and 38 from from the sixth chapter of the Gospel of Luke. May God bless to us the reading of God's word. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you give will be the measure you get back. The word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Holy Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be receptive to thee. O God, our strength and our redeemer, we pray. Amen. 
England was in a dire state, writes Oxford professor Eleanor Parker about the year 1014. Now, if you're doing the math, that was about a thousand years ago. Professor Parker goes on. Since the last decades of the 10th century, the Vikings, Anglo-Saxon England's old enemies, had been conducting campaigns of persistent and devastating raids, ever growing in intensity. The pressure to resist them had drained the country, financially, militarily, psychologically, emotionally. Various strategies were tried to combat the danger, but the scale of the challenge was tearing leadership apart. The court had descended into factionalism, and the king himself was increasingly blamed for all that was going wrong. In the middle of such a time, facing what he believed to be a country in total moral collapse, the Archbishop Wolfstan of York, who was the second-ranking church leader in the land, took the steps up to the pulpit. He breathed, perhaps he prayed, and he spoke. Nothing has prospered now for a long time at hope or abroad, he said. And he named harrying, hunger, burning, and bloodshed as evidence. Pandemic, crime, and unfair taxation also made the list. In this world, he said, the longer things go on, the worse they are, and so it has to be that things grow very worse because of people's sins. Then indeed it will be grim and terrible throughout the world. And he believed a thousand years ago that the moment was at hand. He said, that the devil has now led this nation too much astray for many years. And there has been little loyalty among people, by which he meant compassion and feeling of responsibility. And too many injustices have reigned in the land, he said. He speaks of ways in which the essential bonds of society were fraying. He described desperate people selling their own family members into slavery. He fiercely condemned rampant sexual abuse of those slaves. He speaks of lawlessness, by which he means a pervasive shortage of integrity and lack of care for the vulnerable. Archbishop Wolfstan gives no wiggle room to his congregation. He insists that things are even worse than they think. And he knows the potential costs of his words because the Archbishop of Canterbury was murdered just two years before. <clears throat> 
like Bishop Oscar Romero in our own day, gunned down at the altar after speaking against injustice in El Salvador. Despite whatever desire his people might have brought into the cathedral that day, perhaps to be entertained or sent home feeling good, the archbishop saw something else. Beloved ones, he said, know what is true. This world is in haste and is nearing the end. Now, maybe I should have invited the bishop to fly over from 1014 and be our guest preacher today. I mean, you're hearing a lot of words like wolf stands these days, aren't you? If you're watching television or swiping left on your iPhone to get the news of the day or talking to your friends, and they're coming from many directions. Maybe you're saying them yourself in response to one or another shooting or war or issue or decision or election or voice on TV shouting that it's all coming apart. Maybe you're getting busy to try to fix it in one way or another. Or maybe you're just retreating into protecting your own interests and letting the rest of us fall off our own cliffs. I was in conversation with an intelligent and engaged 26-year-old the other day who told me that he just doesn't even watch the news or read the news anymore because it's so confusing and conflicting and just, just goes about his own business. Hmm. So let's be honest. The familiar ring of the good archbishop's words from a thousand years ago about the fraying of the essential bonds of society is not just some curious coincidence. The familiar ring of his words tell us something about the very nature of things. Life, this side of paradise, is not mostly order and goodness that is occasionally disrupted by chaos or evil. Nor, for that matter, is life this side of paradise mostly chaos and evil with just an occasional glimpse of love. Life, this side of paradise, is clash and clang of all of this happening all at once, always. Order and chaos, goodness and evil, all mixed up. Not one or the other, but all of it together. Pulling together and tearing apart at the same time. We are always on the edge. And it is always just about to collapse. And God's Spirit is also 
always moving and creating and planting and repairing and saving and restoring bonds that are broken. Our guest preacher from a millennium ago knew that too. For like most of us here this morning, that preacher himself was no John the Baptist standing out in the wilderness, separating himself from the world that was falling apart. He was active in the hallways of power and action, making decisions, writing laws, advising rulers, seeking justice for the weak and peace for people who were oppressed and preaching love and responsibility to anyone who would listen. A great wound needs a great remedy, he said. And a great fire needs a great amount of water if the blaze is to be quenched. Despair, anger, or fear don't hold that remedy. They lead us astray toward hopelessness and helplessness and a waste of precious time. Mistrust, hiding from each other and denying responsibility for each other is no remedy either. They will distort our views of the world and threaten our ties to truth. The prescription for the disease that we still suffer is the same today as it was a millennium ago. And that is, I believe, humble, faithful, energetic resolve to ask good questions, listen well, speak truthfully, and act responsibly. Let us do what we need to do, Wolfstan preached that day. And the words ring true today. There is work to do which does not involve battle. There is hope to claim which does not involve deceit or lies. There is freedom to share, which is not license to do as we please, but is strength to love and respect others, even as we love and respect ourselves. Okay, there's a lot going on, even just this week. And I have my own thoughts about it all from Supreme Court decisions and high emotions attached to them, to wars and rumors of wars, to the poor getting poorer throughout the world, and all of us caught up in confusing and conflicting debates about what it all means and what anyone can do about it, to the scripture of the church that we cherish and the God we worship tossed about as political pawns. 
to things feeling more on edge than on a peaceful plateau. The world seems in haste and nearing its end. My first reaction is to take sides and to live as if the answer is to win and to protect my views at all cost. Now, thinking and, and persuasion are, are good. We need them now as, as much as we've ever needed them. We need to assess and take careful action when needed and when we're able. But the words of Jesus selected for today's sermon can ground a believer's approach in times like these in a way that is much deeper, I believe. Hear them again. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you give will be the measure you get back. Hmm. Let me try to hear all of that this way. When we cling to God, we can forgive the chaos and confusion around us. And we can be forgiven for the ways that we contribute to that. And we can be a word of reason and love and light in the midst of it all. And when we accept the gift of hope that God gives us as a gift that we can share, we can realize that we do not need to retreat to be safe or fix things immediately to be secure. We can listen, we can engage, we can take small steps of integrity and compassion and sacrifice for a hurting world, and we can share that hope that is given to us in Christ. And when we realize that even though no person and no place and no program is ever pure this side of paradise, and good and bad will always dance together, we can still believe that what we do matters in the smallest of ways as much as in the biggest of ways. We can trust the promise that by Christ's presence and power, the battle is already won. That love will prevail in the end and that love can drive us even now, every day. Now, does that 
promise get us off the edge that some people think we're on? Does it answer the challenges before us? Does it resolve our differences? Well, I can, I can tell you this much. It has always been the only place for believers to start. Amen.